Hey, welcome to the Bridge to OK podcast. I'm your host, Bridget. This week, we're doing a mental health and media episode about the poetry and life of Sylvia Plath. According to poetry.org, Plath's poetry is often associated with the confessional movement compared to poets such as Lowell and fellow student Anne Sexton. And often her work is described as having juxtaposition of violent, disturbing imagery and playful use of alliteration and rhyme. Most know that Sylvia Plath died by suicide and she left behind children. She was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and many know about her mental health struggles by reading her poetry or her book, The Bell Jar, which described a woman much like herself with depressive episodes, suicidal ideation and attempts. And unfortunately, one of her attempts ended her life. I read The Bell Jar and loved it, but it has been a while since I've read that. I also have her collection of poems which I read through from time to time. And I want to focus on a few poems from that, including Edge, Soliloquy to the Solipsist, Poppies in July, and My Girl's Love Song. So I want to focus on some of her word choices and just what comes up when I read these poems and how it relates to mental health and my own experiences. Here is me reciting soliloquy to the solipsist, and after that, Mad Girl's Love Song. Soliloquy of the Solipsist. I, I walk alone. The midnight street spins itself from under my feet. When my eyes shut, these dreaming houses all snuff out. Through a whim of mine, over gables, the moon's celestial onion hangs high. I make houses shrink and trees diminish by going far. My look's leash dangles the puppet people who, unaware how they dwindle, laugh, kiss, get drunk, nor guess that if I choose to blink, they die. I, when in good humor, give grass its green, but on sky blue and endow the sun with gold. Yet in my wintriest moods, I hold absolute power to boycott color if I forbid any flower to be. I know you appear vivid at my side, denying you sprang out of my head, claiming you feel love fury enough to prove flesh real. But it's quite clear, all your beauty, all your wit, is a gift, my dear, from me. Mad Girl's Love Song. I shut my eyes and all the world drops dead. I lift my lids and all is born again. I think I made you up inside my head. The stars go waltzing out in blue and red. The arbitrary blackness gallops in. I shut my eyes and all the world drops dead. I dreamed that you bewitched me into bed and sung me moonstruck, kissed me quite insane. I think I made you up inside my head. God topples from the sky, hell's fire fades. Exit seraphim and Satan's men. I shut my eyes and all the world drops dead. I fancied you returned the way you said, but I grow old and I forget your name. I think I made you up inside my head. I should have loved a thunderbird instead. At least when spring comes, they roar back again. 
I shut my eyes and all the world drops dead. I think I made you up inside my head. Both Soliloquy to the Solipsist and Mad Girl's Love Song have the motif, the um, idea that we control our reality with our thoughts. And it doesn't necessarily make you feel good either. It's like, it, in a way, it makes you feel powerful or it makes it seem like she's powerful. It's not as even as if everyone has this ability. It's as if she has this ability. And it's like because of her creativity in a way. It's very philosophical, this idea of um, if a tree falls in an empty wood, does it make a sound? Like if you exist without others around, does it matter? If your happiness goes unnoticed and not shared, then is it as happy as it can be? And if you're not in relationships with people... Is it possible that you're not really in this world the way that we think of as existing? Like how people say, you die once when your body dies, and you die a second time the last time someone says your name or thinks about you. So her poems always make me think about such deep philosophical ideas and what it means to be human, what it means to be normal or depressed, how the female or woman experience is, and a lot of these things are really direct and plainly stated, or at least really obvious to decipher, but she also uses such intricate and mature writing that it sounds like it's from a time much earlier. She was born in the 30s and she died when she was 30. But her writing sounds like it's like Shakespearean to me. And like some of the words she uses, I don't even know what they mean or I don't understand the context. And the um, Mad Girl's love song sounds it literally is like a song it's like it has repeating it like would be a great song like it would be a pop song so it's really interesting that she has that writing ability so I really love both those poems and I think of them together in that way in the sense that she's using that idea of um, made you up inside my head and um, when I shut my eyes all these people snuff out like this idea that if I'm not looking at it it's not there and I think that could play into her mental illness in a way because when you have a mood disorder or any disorder you're being really driven by that so instead of focusing on one thing at a time and compartmentalizing in a healthy way you're dissociating and denying and it can be hard to see the distinction in that when you're going through it so a lot of these ideas come up when I think about this I really love the way that she will surprise you and like I said in the beginning that she's a an author that juxtaposes really disturbing imagery with really 
whimsical writing. And I think that was really clear in both of these poems that they're very tongue-in-cheek and witty and really show her creativity and intelligence. And a lot of people think about creativity and intelligence as being high in people with depression. That statistically is true. And I think we should think about how that's often really true for people who are recovered as well. So you don't lose that. And it might just be a byproduct of being an outsider in society until you are drawn to books and creative outlets and that sort of thing. There's a lot of ways you can look at it, you know, correlation does not equal causation. So I just want to make that clear that when I'm talking about how much I respect and admire her work, I wish she would have lived longer. I wish she wasn't suffering so hard and I don't think she had to suffer for her art to be good. I think that we always have to remember not to glorify mental illness in that way, but instead just honor the people who have mental illness and who have struggled with it, while also pointing out that you don't have to do exactly what they did in order to be successful. Like, success isn't defined by how much you struggle, and you don't have to be as strong as you've been. So that's my spiel. And now I'm going to talk about some of the other poems that she's written. I'm actually going to talk a little bit about um, her suicide. So trigger warning for this next part. So the next poem is the last released poem of hers. It's been collected before she passed rather gruesomely and it's definitely really eerie and foreshadowing and I just want to say like may she rest in peace because I think that sometimes these people get transformed into icons and figures that totally are warranted because of the grandeur of their stature and their field, like people like Kurt Cobain, for instance, where their art speaks for itself and it's so great, like, but just the fact that they kill themselves really weighs heavy on society and makes them really, like, they sell, people sell more records as soon as they die, you know, so it's like, I want to make sure to just remember the fact that these poli- these people who have celebrity are human beings and we should remember their humanity even in their death. So here is the next poem. Edge by Sylvia Plath. The woman is perfected. Her dead body wears the smile of accomplishment. The illusion of a Greek necessity flows in the scrolls of her toga. Her bare feet seem to be saying, We've come so far, it is over. Each dead child coiled a white serpent, one at each little pitcher of milk now empty. She has folded them back into her body as petals of a rose close when the garden stiffens and odors bleed from the sweet, deep throats of the night flower. The moon is nothing to be sad about. 
staring from her hood of bone. She's used to this sort of thing. Her blacks crackle and drag. So that poem is haunting knowing what happens just three days later, knowing she leaves behind family, knowing that she could have had better access to treatment, meds that worked or that she didn't have to go off of, that her doctor was more available, that she wasn't fighting all these demons. It'd be better off if all of those things were true, but the reality is she was battling these demons and she even mentions children in what I almost called her suicide note because that's what it feels like reading that poem. Talking about the woman is perfected. I'm talking about her dead body. As if... Because people um, mention when talking about suicide prevention that a lot of times someone will be in the depths of depression and feel their lowest but then decide and have not just the ideation but the plan to kill themselves. And once they make that decision, sometimes it almost feels like a weight off their chest. The burdens are done. They don't have to deal with life anymore. So they actually feel a sense of peace. Like what's supposed to happen to them is going to happen to them. They're going to get what they deserve, whatever the horrible thoughts they're happening. Like it's more of a peaceful demeanor now. And so people sometimes think, oh, they were just getting better. And before um, a suicide attempt or... or, um, a death by suicide and sometimes that thing that looks like getting better is actually just the acceptance of death or the acceptance that you're going to try to end your suffering and I think it's important to recognize that it's a lot of times about trying to end your suffering trying to end the part of your life that is horrible and you don't think you can disconnect yourself from that And I remember trying to explain that to someone before because they said that they thought suicide was selfish. And obviously it makes sense to feel that way if you've lost someone. And especially if you're like a partnership with them where you felt like you were supposed to be there for each other. But it's important to remember that a lot of times people feel like burdens. So they think they're actually doing the world and their loved ones a favor. That their loved ones will eventually get over it and that they're better off even though that's not true because we all want our family and friends to stay but that's what depression and suicide suicidality does to people and another thing to what, what I said actually was um, to that person was well think of it this way like think of someone's like your, your least favorite person well if someone's battling suicide they're least favorite person might be themselves because of all the the self-loathing thoughts so they think the only way to get away from themselves is that because they're not seeing any progress and they're like oh i've never thought of it that way so i think it's just important to get rid of stigma and then also recognize that suicide isn't the option and there is help and there are possible ways to recover and to see a brighter side and to cope and unfortunately that didn't happen for Sylvia Plath so what I want to talk about in the poem 
not just all of that, but specifically where she talks about the the night flower, the, the moon flower, where I think she's talking about the idea that I, I um, relate to the idea that at nighttime you can really express yourself more and you feel more able to bloom and open up to the world because it's more silent and the moon is less of a harsh light than the sun so you don't feel so in the spotlight maybe I found it interesting at the end where they say that the moon is used to this sort of thing the idea that all this anguish is just something that the universe is used to and that it's just a, a blimp on the radar in a way that's calming, in a way that's really scary, but it's definitely really interesting and creative to talk about, and that's why I love Sylvia Plath and wanted to talk about her. So the the moon flower to me represents her and me and every other misfit and person who has felt alone. So maybe listeners can understand that as well and hopefully feel less alone knowing that not only she felt that way but a lot of the people who read her poetry felt that way and it's not a character flaw it's just something you're going through So while this next poem may seem morbid, it's definitely a bit lighter in terms of it wasn't right before the end of her life. So I wanted to end it on just a little bit brighter note, and it's about flowers! <laughs> but you know, Sylvia Plath never makes something about flowers, just something cheery and rainbows and sunshine. So I want to talk about that as well. Poppies in July. Little poppies, little hell flames. Do you do no harm? You flicker, I cannot touch you. I put my hands among the flames, nothing burns, and it exhausts me to watch you flickering like that, wrinkly and clear red, like the skin of a mouth. A mouth just bloodied, little bloody skirts. They are fumes I cannot touch. Where are your opiates, your nauseous capsules? If I could bleed or sleep, if my mouth could marry a hurt like that, are your liquors seeped to me in this glass capsule, dulling and stilling, but colorless, colorless. That was Poppies in July. It's really interesting to hear her description of flowers as being like hell flames with bloodied skirts. And I would say that the fact that she can't touch them and that everything is colorless to me makes me think of when you're depressed or going through a really hard time that no matter how much good is around you or how much beautiful scenery is around you that you can still not be able to have it actually affect you in a good way and the fact that it almost feels like it's mocking you so it makes it worse like summertime in Disneyland when you're feeling worse for instance And then when you bring into play the fact that 
opiates and opium comes from poppies. And she's talking about how she can't even get the the high from that. I wonder if that's supposed to be a direct... Um, I wonder if we should have a direct analysis from that and just say that she's talking about self-medicating or if there's a deeper meaning behind that. I really uh, just question what is behind a lot of her poems rather than having a definitive idea of what it's about. I just stand back in awe of the beautiful word choice and the rhythm. And I think she just a great poet to aspire to write like. And I think that she really depicts battles of depression really well. So hopefully this episode hasn't been too morbid. I'm sure there could have been a happier poem of hers, but I have not found it yet. There's always a negative spin on it, which is what drew me to her in the first place. Because when you're going through a really hard time, you don't always want to hear about the good times. Sometimes you need to hear a validating experience. There's so much more to talk about Celia Plath's life and her work and what's written about her. I believe I mentioned I read The Bell Jar and I have the collected poems of Celia Plath. And another thing you could read about her is the unabridged journals from hers, which I haven't read yet. And you could talk about, of course, her really popular poem, Daddy, and her other popular poems I hadn't talked about, and other poems that are treasures. And her husband and her children, but... Instead of getting into all that, I just want to focus on some of my favorite poems of hers and why I love her poetry and what it means to me in regards to depression and mental health. Thank you for listening to this episode of Bridge to OK, the bonus episode of Mental Health and Media about Sylvia Plath. I hope you enjoyed it, gained some insight, felt less alone because of it. And I just want to leave you with a tip that if you ever listen to a podcast, read a poem, or consume, consume any media, just make sure to watch something funny afterward or do some deep breathing and try to remove yourself from something that was stressing you out, even if it was something that was really interesting to you or something that was really important to do. It doesn't mean it didn't stress you out and they don't need to do some self-care afterward. Please give a nice review and rate the podcast five stars on Apple Podcasts. Hope you're doing well. Talk soon.